everybody doing today? Here we are on the last Sunday of the month of August. We had, did, did you realize that we had five Sundays in the month of August? Pretty long, right? But I like to say, if you're a new listener, I want to say welcome and thank you for tuning into my show on this fine Sunday morning. You could have been doing anything else, but you chose to spend your time with me. And for that, I thank you. And if you would like to hear any of my previous shows, you can visit my show page right here on Radio Free Brooklyn, or you can find them on Spotify and iTunes. I also want to remind everyone that Radio Free Brooklyn is a 5013C company and we accept donations. This is how we function. So we appreciate all the support that you give to us. So now today, I want to talk about, I want to talk about excellence, okay? Because you know, we're still on our journey towards a better us, being our best selves. So I want to talk about 
excellence and how we can obtain it, right? Because now we all want to be excellent in the things that we do. But what does it mean to be excellent? Well, Webster defines excellent as being extremely good and outstanding. An excellent person is an individual that gives pleasure to the senses or to the mind. So when you think of that definition, who wouldn't want to be excellent, right? I know I want to be excellent. So who wouldn't want to be thought about as being superior, first rate, admirable, the best of, virtuous, worthy, beyond all praise? But being excellent sounds like it would take a lot of work, right? Well, let me tell you. The ancient Greeks believed the term excellent to mean virtue. And when they applied the word to another human being, it meant the fulfillment of a purpose or function. So now when we think about excellence, that works right along with what we're doing with our journey, right? Because we're taking this journey to become our best selves possible. So with the understanding of what the Greeks looked at excellence as being, it specifically meant living up to one's full potential. So as Christians, we must also strive to live up to our full potential, right? Meaning that at all costs, we must pursue excellence. So today, we're going to discuss wisdom and excellence. Because how could you try to pursue excellence without wisdom, right? So having wisdom can help us in our pursuit in act towards excellence while we're taking our journey to being our best selves. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But we're going to begin with wisdom. So wisdom is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. So when we have wisdom, we are able to understand life from God's perspective. Now, Solomon, if you know, when he wrote the book of Proverbs, he reminds us that throughout the book, that wisdom is the most important thing to obtain in life. Proverbs 3, 13 to 15 states, happy is the man who finds wisdom. And the man who gains understanding for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Proverbs 4, 7 and 8 tells us wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and in all you're getting Get understanding, exalt her, exalt her, and she will promote you. Now, when I read those, it's telling you how wisdom is the most important thing you need to have. But I love the fact that Solomon was a man who acknowledged that wisdom was a woman, right? If only men today could come to that same conclusion, we would be in a better place right now. But Solomon knew, he says it right here. She is better than the prophets of silver and gold. 
She's more precious than rubies. But with all that Solomon knew about obtaining wisdom, he also knew that it was not easy to come by. And he states this in Ecclesiastics, Ecclesiastes, excuse me, 7, 23 to 24. And I hope you all know I'm reading from the New King James Version when I read my scriptures. All this I have proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. But it was far from me. And for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find it? So, to aid us in our pursuit of excellence, here are four ways by which we can obtain wisdom. Number one, it starts with the fear of God. Proverbs 9 and 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. By fear, when I say fear of the Lord, or the word says fear of the Lord, but when I say fear God, the word fear doesn't mean that you're afraid, trembling, scared. It means respect, not wanting to offend one that you admire or that you adore. Number two, we must desire wisdom. We have to want it with all our heart. We have to want wisdom in order for it to come to us. We have to seek it. Proverbs 2, 4, and 5. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. We must desire her with all our being in order for her to come to us. Number three, we must pray for wisdom. James 1 and 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. In other words, ask and you will get it. Number four, study God's word. We should read, study, and meditate the word of, meditate on the word of God, seeking understanding in order to obtain knowledge. So when we do those four things, that will help us obtain wisdom. So now that we have our wisdom, we can, we can now pursue the excellence. We can now begin to pursue excellence. Now, when we say that we are going to pursue excellence, we are simply saying that we are going to be enthusiastic about our goals and that we are willing to implement all of the actions needed to improve ourselves. These actions will include everything from raising the standards of what we pre how of raising our standards from what we have previously set for ourselves or learning something new like taking on a new foreign language or if we said we weren't going to sit and watch tv and binge watch for all day you know just different things right it could also include listening to this show every week because you know on this show we talk about topics all the time 
that it can improve our well-being because that's what this show is about. Helping us become our best selves. So yes, even listening to this show every week could be a pursuit of excellence. But I digress. And here are the four things that we must understand about excellence as we embark on our pursuit of it. Because how can you achieve, how do you know if you've achieved something if you don't know what it looks like? So four things. Number one, being excellent means doing what is good for all and not just for yourself, right? Titus three and eight tells us, this is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Proverbs 3.27 also tells us, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it is in your power, when it is in the power of your hand to do so. So long story short, we obtain excellence when we become focused on others and not just think about ourselves. Point number two, excellent applies to everything that we do. Ecclesiastes nine and 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your, with your might for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Meaning, work now while you can. Do what you can while you're capable, right? Being excellent doesn't only apply to being moral and spiritual, right? It also applies to our vocation and just practical living. Like being the best at work, being the best in our communities, being the best in school for those of us who are students. It means giving above and beyond what is expected of you at all times. Number three, excellence is not a synonym for success. And a lot of people want to think that, well, the worldly view of if you're excellent, you're successful. But how many of you are aware that being successful, you can be successful without obtaining excellence, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against anybody being successful. I just want you to understand the difference between the two. For one, to be excellent, it means to be your very best. To be successful, it means to be the best. Success to some people means that you are better than everyone else. Excellent means, excellence means that you are a better version of yourself than you were before. Being better today or tomorrow than you were yesterday. To some, success means exceeding the achievements of other people. Excellence means fulfilling the purpose for which you were created. You see the difference between the two? You see, it's almost like a worldview of success and excellence where excellence really doesn't have 
anything to do with success, but you can be successful if you achieve excellence. You see? Number four, excellence is something that we are in pursuit of for the rest of this life journey, right? We are all striving towards the mark. We are pressing towards the goal. That is our ultimate of why we're here, right? Philippians 3, 8 to 14 reminds us that, and excuse me if it sounds like you hear this candy in my mouth because you know I have to do my candy because my throat gets so dry. Philippians 3, 8 to 14 reminds us that yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am I already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to be apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching towards Forward and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Those scriptures show us how we are always in pursuit of excellence and we do it for our crowns of glory that we look to receive when we leave here, right? The pursuit of excellence is a process where we will use all of our God-given gifts and talents all the days that we are here on earth until we're not here anymore. We do it to be more like Christ, right? And that's the reason why we're Christians, right? To be more like Christ. Pursuing excellence gets us a bit closer to being like him. So now that we have our understanding of wisdom, right which we need to also acquire and we once we get that wisdom we can then use it on our journey to pursue excellence which is going to help us in our journey to become our best selves that's what we should be looking to do every day every day we wake up we should be thinking about how could we be different how could we be different from the way we were the day before? What could we do today that would make us that just a little bit closer to getting to that place where we feel ourselves developing into something better than what we were before? And it doesn't take a lot 
people think that it takes a lot in order to like just talking about the different the different definitions that I was giving with obtaining wisdom and pursuing excellence. It doesn't take a lot. It's not rocket science. Sometimes it could just be, you know what? Instead of me going outside and having an attitude with everyone and being mad at the world, maybe I'll try looking at things from a positive side instead of looking at everything as being negative. That right there is a step towards excellence, right? Because that means that when you embrace things as being positive or you find the good in things instead of always finding the negative in things, it gives you that little glimpse that, okay, there is hope. There is, there is an opportunity for things to improve and not everything is downtrodden and the worst thing that could ever be going on in the world at the moment. So we should just try to implement those things every day. Try something new every day. Just something slight, like I said, something just as small as I'm going to look at things from the positive side. Or, you know what? I'm going to have a smile on my face today. When I see people and I greet them, I'm going to smile at them. That right there is a change. And it will probably make you feel better in the long run as well. So with that, think about everything that we said about wisdom. Think about everything that we said about pursuing excellence and let's implement those things put them in our tool chest as another part of things that we can use in our journey towards our better selves so with that we're going to go to a bit of music and when we return we'll have op ed you have been listening to what would k say on radio free brooklyn Make the old people well 
talk to police. That's black on black signers living on welfare, living in hell here. When everybody is broke, you fear for your welfare. Uh, look at them thugs, how dangerous they are with gun in hand. Look what them ghetto girls posted on their Instagram. Don't bring them to our church, because we don't want that riffraff. What you expect when most of us grew up wishing for dads, no jobs in our community, and people losing hope. Why you think he on that corner selling dope? It ain't for fun. It's a plan when we was chained on that boat. America lynched our rights and we still hanging from the rope. And I promise, I want to leave it in the past. But it's hard, because I just seen an unarmed team shot down like a dog. I pray you hear my heart, because it's heavy when I'm rapping. See, the reason for this song is that I'm asking for the glory of the Lord. When the glory comes, it'll be ours, it'll be ours, oh, glory, 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 now the war is not over, victory is not won, we will fight on to the finish. should love one another regardless of our pigment we all bleed the same color we're made in the image of god like no other it's clear the world is hurt but i can tell you that he loves us he loves us so even if you hate me i'ma love you i'ma hear your heart until the lord take this pain from you i'ma pray for you i'ma feel your struggle you gonna feel mine i'ma walk with you to the glory of the lord when the glory comes it'll be Welcome back. You are listening to What Would Kay Say here on Radio Free Brooklyn. It is now time for Op-Ed. Now, Op-Ed this week, there's a lot going on. When I say a lot going on, a lot going on. Not only is this the last Sunday for the month of August, we had five weeks in August this year. And it's not unusual for August to be um, a hotbed of activities because if we look back in history, we see that Emmett Till was murdered in August. We had the March on Washington, which they did again on um, Friday. They did another March on Washington. We had the signing of the Voter Rights Act we had the killing of Michael Brown. We had Hurricane Katrina, which again, here we go. We had Hurricane Laura. She showed up. We had Obama was nominated for um, to be the presidential candidate for the Democratic Party. And then now we have President Trump, who once again has been nominated for the candidate of presidency for the Republican Party. But now I want to go into, and like I said, there is just so much to discuss with op-ed this week, but I want to talk about 
the racial tension that everyone's talking about that's in the climate today. This racial tension that everybody's feeling is nothing new. So it might be new to some of you who wanted to act like there was no racial tension going on. Racial tension has always been here. And until we do something about it, it will continue to be here. But, and when racial tension is sparked by political leaders, that's when it becomes a problem. Because people on their own could not like each other. People, people can do that by themselves. But when you have political leaders who keep stroking the flames, fanning the flames, so to speak, to keep it going, um, but not acting like they're doing it, that's when the problem comes in. And I'm going to use New York City in the 80s as an example. Now, and the reason why I use New York City, because our POTUS made reference to New York City in his speech at the Republican National Convention on Thursday night. Did any of you catch that? Have any of you been watching any of the um, conventions, the Democrat or the Republican? I don't usually watch them, but I watched them because I wanted to hear what everyone was saying in this time. And the reason why, like I said, I'm going back to New York because Trump made a point of stating how New York, it has become the crime capital of America. He said that in his speech. New York is the crime capital of America with all the shootings we have going on. That wasn't happening. It's because of the Democrat, the Democratic leadership that we have for our state. That's why everything is chaos because Democrats don't believe in, um, they don't believe in, um, uh, just, um, what do they call it? They don't believe in almost like saying we don't believe in cops doing their job. We don't. Oh, law and order. That's what it was. Law. We don't. Democrats don't believe in law and order. And that's why New York is out of control right now. But I want to take us back to the 80s when New York was out of control. When Yusef Hawkins was killed. Now, Yusef Hawkins was a teenager that was went to Bensonhurst to buy he didn't go to buy a car, but he went with a friend of his to look at a car that they wanted to buy. For whatever reason, I don't understand why his family didn't warn him. Because in the 80s, New York had segregated neighborhoods. Now everybody may, with gentrification, everybody may live next to each other and want to act like we're one big happy family. But back in the 80s and the 70s, but I'll say specifically the 80s, so you won't think it was that far away. In the 80s, New York was still segregated by neighborhoods. And Yusef Hawkins was from East New York. And they, him and his friends, went to look at a car that they wanted to buy in Bensonhurst. Now, anyone knows if you were black and you walked through Bensonhurst, you were going to be met with some type of opposition because that's where... The Italians lived. That's where allegedly mobsters lived. And 
they were going to do whatever they did at all costs to protect their neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? So they went over there to get this car. Lo and behold, there was some beef, some rumor going around that this chick was going to have some black guys come to the neighborhood because she was trying to show off in front of her boyfriend, whatever, whatever. Long story short, they see black guys get off a train. They automatically assume that it's these the black guys that this girl said she was going to bring to the neighborhood and boom, bang, before you know it, these kids are um, pounced upon and Yusef is shot. Now, I say all that to say, prior to that, we had, um, okay, so it was April 19th in 1989 that we had the Central Park Five, the guys that were, well, now they're called the exonerated, excuse me that were um, accused of raping a white woman in Central Park. And at that time, when that happened, Koch was our mayor, and Koch said that, you know, they're all, he no, he said, we have the boys in custody that we believe did this. So, you know, allegedly we have to say allegedly that they did this but we all know that they did this because you're gonna hear their parents saying oh he was such a good boy he would never do nothing to nobody this is what Katja is saying and he was the mayor of New York at the time right fast forward to August of that same year and we have the killing of Yusef Hawkins and what do we have when the boys were picked up because the only reason why these boys were picked up for the murder was because um, the police started talking to the mobsters in the neighborhood and because there were so many protests by black people in Bed Bensonhurst and that was driving them freaking crazy that um, they said, you're gonna have to turn over the boys because this is not gonna stop the people and not gonna let you just get away with killing their kid. So they gave up to, they gave up the boys that, that did it, the shootings or whatever, or the mob or whatever, and what did you hear their parents saying? Oh, he was such a good boy. He never did nothing wrong. But funny, you didn't hear Koch saying how allegedly we have to presume that they didn't do this. We didn't hear him saying that when it came to the, the kids from Bensonhurst with what they did, literally shooting someone dead. But we heard this when you thought that, you thought that a white woman might have been raped by some black kids in the park fast forward to today where we have our POTUS calling members of black lives matter a terrorist group now why is a group that peacefully marches against the injustice of black people at the hands of the police, a terrorist group. But I could tell you why he's going to say that because there are a lot of people walking with black lives matter, white people that are doing things that have nothing to do with black lives matter. And see, that's the problem. It's all nice that we all come together to stand for um, injustice on one accord. But when you start taking things out of context, but then everybody still wants to look at it as, oh, it's the black people doing it because it's their movement. That's when it becomes a problem. So he says that they're a, a terrorist group and that they're rioters and that they make, they don't make our nations safe, but 
he wants to make our nation safe again, right? This was the whole rhetoric of the Republican National Convention. Everything was he needed to make America safe. Um, he's going to make sure he stands for your Second Amendment rights, which he was also toting, make sure you get your guns and ammo ready. Um, because we already know that we already had a militia that was out there um, in Wisconsin when there was the protest of um, the Blake guy being shot in the back by the police. And then come to find out two protesters were killed by a teenager that was walking with an assault rifle and the cops let him walk the streets with his assault rifle. Like, why would he need to have an assault rifle that late at night and the cops don't stop him is beyond me. And then even after he shot the people and people were saying to the cops, he killed two people. They just let him walk. They didn't, according to the police, they didn't know that he was the one that had pulled the trigger. Long story short, of course, they finally get him, but he, that was the following day from what I understand. And here it is. Now here's the now here's the picture I want you to paint. You have a black man going to his car, getting into his car with his kids. Cops shoot him in the back. Okay, I don't know why he walked away from them. I don't know what led up to him walking away. I don't know if he was the perpetrator they were trying to detain. I I don't know anything about that. But I'm just telling you from what we see, and that's the story. But yet you have a person who was walking with an assault rifle and people are telling you he just killed two people and he just gets to walk free. See, that's the part I don't understand. That's the part I don't understand. How is it that one person armed gets to walk free and one person unarmed is now paralyzed from the waist down? So anyway, getting back to the Republican National Convention, they were saying how they're going to make America safe again because the Democrats just want everybody to run amok and they want people to just come over, immigrants just come here and just suck up everything off the land, yada, yada, yada. There's lawlessness all over the place. Okay, to me, when I looked at the people in the audience, it reminded me of Jonestown. If anybody remembers Jonestown with Jim Jones, it looked like they were all ready to drink the Kool-Aid. But that was just my perception, and that's just what I saw watching them at the White House, which was quite unusual that they would have a convention for a political party at the White House on the White House lawn, and everybody's coming out of the White House like it's their own private home. But I digress from that, too. And here it is. He had all these people up there speaking. He had the woman that he let out. He commuted her sentence because she was in jail um, Allison Johnson, she had been locked up for selling drugs and her sentence was just so, um, the sentence that they had given her was so crazy for the crime that she had committed being her first offense. And she was just so happy that president Trump looked into her case and, you know, let her out because now she's able to be with her family if and if it wasn't for him she would still be locked up but what I want to say people is I understand she's happy she's out anyone would be happy that they're out of jail if they were looking at a life sentence anyone but what you have to remember is when 
these politicians go and say that they're doing you a favor because now they're commuting your sentence to a lighter one or obviously letting you out. It was those same lawmakers that put you in there in the first place. If it weren't for them making this, the, the laws the way that they did and putting the rulings the way that they did, you wouldn't have been locked up for life. So the fact that they let you out, yeah, it's nice, but did they really do you any favors? I mean, that's like somebody punching you in your face and then giving you a steak. Oh, you're going to praise them because, oh my gosh, they gave me a steak to put on my eye because I was punched. But if they wouldn't have punched you, you wouldn't have needed the steak, correct? Let's not lose sight of the fact of the reason why they're doing these things and it's making it seem like they're doing something so righteous or so great. They're the ones that put all this stuff in place. So you're not doing anything other than reversing the crap that you started. So, so I should praise you for reversing the crap that you started and you want to make it seem like as if, oh, these laws just appeared there. And if it wasn't for us changing them, where would we be? Stop it. And people don't be fooled by this. Do not be fooled by this. And also don't be fooled. I was also surprised with the number of blacks he had up there talking. The number of black people that he had up there singing his praises. Now, why is it that we only see black people around President Trump when it comes to be election time? Why is that? But yet, President Trump, and that's surprising, I've actually called him by his name because I usually say POTUS. President Trump has, in his four years, appointed, get this people, a hundred and 98 judges. I need to check that number, but I know it's over a hundred judges, two to the Supreme Court, others to appellate courts and lower district courts. But out of all those judges that he appointed in the four years that he's been in office, tell me how many of them were black. He had more people speaking on the stage at the Republican National Convention that were black than of all the judges that he's appointed that were black. And I only make that reference to say, don't get it twisted, people. Just because you have some up there that want to sing his praises for whatever reasons, it works for them. Remember, we're not voting for what works for us personally. We're voting for what works for everyone overall. Let's not lose sight of the reason of why we vote and the importance of our votes. It's important that we vote because like I said, he's appointed a hundred plus judges that those judges will now sit and be able to make any type of decisions over your life long after Donald Trump has left the White House. They will still be sitting in a chair in the position to enact laws, reading of rulings, make decisions over your life. Is that what you want? That's the importing of the importance of voting. And when I would tell you it starts on your local level with your assemblymen, when you, with your Congress people, with your council people, it goes way beyond just the presidency. So let's not just think when we go there, 
that's what we're really, you know, going for. We're going for judges. We're going for people who will be in power for a minute deciding your fate. So that's why it's important to vote. And that's why it's important to find out what is on the ballots for this November 3rd. Do your due diligence, people. Do your research. And another thing I want to add. What was this with the in God we trust? Everything they said was God, God, God. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of back in the day when they were bringing them ships over talking about in God, we are going to bring these slaves over to pick this cotton and pick this tobacco in God. We trust that we're going to get slave slave manual slave labor in order for us to keep our fields going the way that they're going. Whenever they started throwing that Bible up all of a sudden at the convention, now everything's about God. And everything's about black people talking on, on the stage. Really? Where you have the height of racial tension everywhere. Everywhere. In every state, there's racial tension. Okay? But you're talking about, in God we trust. You know, we're not going to take in God we trust out of the Pledge of Allegiance. We're not going to take in God we trust out of wherever he was saying we ain't taking it out because everything they're doing is because of God, because of their love of God. But if you really loved God, you wouldn't be bringing racial division between the people of your country. And then he wanted to point out that the Democrats want to make this a socialist country because they're in bed with China and China is the one that started the coronavirus that spread all over the world and the the Democrats are in bed with China. China would be so happy if he was to lose the election. Cuba, he started naming all these other socialist countries, but funny, he didn't, I don't recall him ever mentioning Russia. Not once did he mention his best friends, the Russians and the Koreans. Lo and behold, aren't those communist countries as well? Hmm. But as long as they're your best friends, it's okay to be friends with communists. But when they're not your best friends, then it's a taboo. It's like signing a pact with the devil. Please stop. And people don't be gullible. Do not be swayed by everything that you heard in that convention. Take it with a grain of salt because he was lying about everything he was saying. Talking about how we have control over the coronavirus we are still losing people left and right to this virus. And if it weren't for him being so lax with talking about the virus or admitting that we had a virus here, so many people would not have died. But of course they want to paint the picture now that they were on top of it. He stopped, um, he stopped the flights coming in from China and everybody was upset with him because of that. He stopped the flights coming in from Europe and people were upset with him because of that. He didn't stop anything. He didn't stop a thing till people started complaining to him about you need to shut the borders. But as far as he was concerned, there was no need to shut the borders. I don't want you to be sidetracked by the rhetoric that was, that was put up there on the stage for this Republican National Convention. And... One thing I must say, though, one thing I must say, he does give a good fireworks show. I mean, I don't know if he got in touch with Macy's, 
I'm not sure, but the fireworks at the end and the fact that his name came up in the fireworks, his name with the year. Come on, people, you know, that was the highlight of the whole convention, right? Who doesn't love a good fireworks, right? But remember to vote. Remember the importance of the vote. And do not be gullible to what you hear about how they're sticking up for the American people. Because if it were for them, those people that's in the White House now, the people that's running Congress now, we wouldn't be a democracy because everything they're doing is leading us away from being a democracy, trying to shut down people's rights to vote or cast a ballot by mailing because of the whole sabotage that they did with the United States Postal Service, everything. Do not be gullible, people. And that's my words for op-ed. Hmm. Remember our word is reform. We are definitely trying to reform all these past mistakes that have been made. We're trying to reform them. And I promise for this Sunday, I'm sorry, I keep turning my head from the mic. Our promise for this Sunday is going to be for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. Psalm 105. So let's keep that in mind, right? That the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting. So with that, I want to say everyone have a blessed Sunday. Enjoy the rest of your work week. If you missed this show, this will be rebroadcast again on Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. So if you missed part of the show, you could always catch it on Tuesday. We, that's where we have a replay. I want everybody to stay safe. Continue to wear your mask. Continue to wash your hands. Continue to use hand sanitizer. Continue to stay six feet apart from one another. And until we meet again next week, God willing, peace.
rise and fall seasons come 